Hi, uh, it's an honor and a privilege to be here with you guys. Uh, my name um, is Becca Heck, and I serve as co-director of student ministries at Intown Community Church in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, that co-director title is probably why I'm here doing this workshop. Um, I, uh, at 23, I'm 33 now, so almost 11 years ago, I was hired to uh, come and work at Atlanta um, at Intown Community Church to work with a youth pastor at that time. And um, after about two years, that youth pastor moved on and they asked me to take over as director of student ministries. And my first thing that I said to them was, hi, I'm a woman, we are a PCA church. And their response to me was, yes, we know, and we can do this anyway. And I said, okay. Um, so um, I, I was a little floored and um, was quickly kind of uh, thrust into a whole new kind of world. And I know that not everybody here is PCA, so this is not a PCA-specific talk, actually. Um, but it is important for you to know where I came from and what my, con my context is. So for six years, I served as the director of student ministries on my own. Um, I had various interns come in and out. I had assistant in, uh, directors come in and out. Um, and um, all along the way, we started to notice something, that there was an issue with the fact that we had this revolving door of leadership. And so um, I, even though I was there and I was steady, um, my church had actually been through a heck of a lot, which is a much longer story. Um, but within about a six-month period of time, um, all leadership ministry leadership all left within six months. Um, we went from having three pastors to having zero. Um, our children's ministry director left, my intern left, and I was the lone woman standing. Um, so while I was in that position, having also interns and assistant directors and trying to hire and all that stuff, we were also looking for a senior pastor. Um, so this entire time, so for my first two years of reporting to a youth pastor, and then I had six years of reporting straight up to the senior pastor or an interim pastor, whoever we had, um, we are noticing this impact of a revolving door of the male leadership um, and how, what that did to me, what that did to our students. And um, my brand new senior pastor, after being there for about nine months, he and I sat down and we came up with a plan. We said, what if we hired a different kind of guy to help balance it out, right? What if instead of hiring an intern or hiring someone to report to me, what if we actually hired someone that was gonna be an equal? Um, now, here's the thing, we were looking for very specific things to stop that revolving door, right? We needed someone who um, could immediately jump into ministry. Our student ministry at the time was going strong, we were growing and we were great, um, but we, I did not have any time to keep us moving and also train someone brand new in ministry. Um, we needed someone that could jump in, could know the ropes, could help, and start pulling this thing along with me. Um, so we knew that we needed that. We also knew that we were looking for someone who would commit to us for five to seven years. Those two things alone meant, specifically within our context of the PCA, really one thing. We were more than likely going to be hiring an ordained guy. More than likely someone who was already married, um, just because of the cultural context that we were in. Um, and so as we came to that conclusion, the session and my senior pastor came to me and said, listen, we're recognizing this is what's going to happen. We need you to know something. We do not want you at all, Becca, because you've been here for eight years at this point. We do not want you to be demoted or to feel like you were demoted in any way. Whoever we find to fit this role has to be someone that is so very willing to work as an equal with you, even though they are already ordained that we have to find someone that would be willing to do that work with you. And I was floored. Um, and yet, I also still had to hit with a moment of my own pride because what would end up happening and did happen is that I went from being the director of student ministry at Intown Community Church and to being a co-director, which meant I had to put my pride down to also allow for my title to change again. It meant that whoever we ended up calling to that position would have to put his pride down and say, I am desiring actually to work with someone as an equal. And uh, we lucked out very much so. Um, the first guy that we interviewed, we interviewed nine men for this position. Um, and primarily, let me say this too, we did specifically go and search for a man. Um, we didn't, 
in the same way that all of the research shows that a family that has a, both a mom and a dad bring up healthier children, that that is just better for the family unit. We spiritually also wanted to have a spiritual father and a spiritual mother in the ministry. We went into it knowing this is what we wanted. And so we looked and we hired, uh, we looked and uh, interviewed nine different men all across the country. And um, funny enough, the first guy we interviewed was also the first guy, the one guy that we hired. And um, out of all of these nine really, really terrific men that had all done youth ministry for years that were so kind and so good, um, he was the only one who said, whoa, you guys are doing something different. You want a co-leader? Let's do this. Um, and to this day, it's been one of the greatest gifts and greatest challenges of my life. <laughs> um, and I would say his too. Uh, he's not here, so I won't speak fully for him, but that's true. Um, and uh, friends, what I am describing to you is not the norm. It's not. Um, I grew up in a Christian family who attended a very large interdenominational mega church. My youth group, um, as a student, I was all in. That is everything. My whole social circle revolved around it. Um, it was pivotal to my life and to my faith. Um, I tell people I've been in youth ministry for half of my life because I technically started as a 17-year-old because my volunteer small group leader, who was an adult, never showed up. So I would grab my small group as a 17-year-old, grab my Bible, throw them in my car. We'd go someplace, and we would st I, would, I would lead the Bible study. So as 17 years old, I was um, already in youth ministry. Um, as a freshman in college, I became a more official volunteer and small group leader. Um, and I was about six months into that, discipling freshman high school girls. And I thought, man, if I could get paid to do this, that would be so cool. Except in my context and where I grew up, women were not paid to do ministry. Um, you could do children's ministry, you could be the choir director, you could do administrative work, but anything that involved someone that was over the age of 10 years old was no place for a woman. And so I essentially grew up through college, went to college to study art history, was planning on being in a museum world and uh, living in New York City and doing youth ministry on the side. That was always the plan. I graduated college, I had zero money for grad school, and um, God is weird, and through an internet love story, not the kind you think, I ended up in Atlanta, Georgia, at a church, Intel Community Church, working for this, this um, beautiful youth pastor who was looking for a girls' discipleship coordinator. It was supposed to last a year, and instead it's lasted over 10. Um, God is weird, God is weird, God is weird. Um, now, here's the other thing, is I grew up in the late 80s and full-on 90s, so, um, and there was no such thing as screen time, right? So I watched TV all the time, and um, I started to pick up on something. Um, I had a favorite television show, you guys might have heard of it, and involved six different people that all casually, seemingly to, like, live right across, like, the hall from each other, and they're constantly running in and out of each other's apartments and lives, and very, very, like, it's almost like they never have jobs because they're always hanging out at a coffee shop, <laughs> right? Somehow they have these massive apartments in New York City that don't actually exist, um, but I, I loved Friends. I also loved the show ER, you guys remember that one? I love the West Wing. I love ensemble shows, is what I found out. And here's why. Because what they taught me, what they showed me, was that there is someplace out there in the world, men and women who are constantly working together. Men and women who are constantly with each other. Men and women who are constantly walking in and out of each other's lives. Men and women who are constantly knowing so much about each other um, that they are either working within the White House to like create this entire world, right? Um, or they are just simply walking across the hall and saying, this couch will always have a place for me at it. This table will always be open to me. I can always open that fridge. There was something beautiful about this community that I was watching and growing up longing for and saying, that is the kind of friendships that I want. That is the kind of world that I want to live in. And yet, um, weirdly enough, um, that is not the kind of church that I had or that I saw. Um, there is something so good and watching community like that. There's something right and always knowing that you have access to someone's life. There's something holy 
and always knowing that there was going to be a seat for you on the couch or a seat for you at the table, right? Um, this is not a workshop where I'm going to advocate for complementarian or egalitarian. I do want to just go ahead and put that up front. This is not this workshop. That's not what we're doing here. We're not advocating for liberal or conservative. It's not a left or a right situation. It's not even in the middle. I think to our detriment <laughs> within the church, um, Big C Church, we often hitch ourselves to words and to ideas that we as fallen humans have created. Um, the word Trinity, right? Beautiful word. We love that word. We need to love that word. It is all of our doctrine sits on it, right? Our church fathers came up with that word Trinity because it's not actually in the scriptures, but the reality of it is. The Trinity was always there. We gave a word to a truth that always existed and is found across the scriptures and has given us the basis for our church homes and our church communities. That is something to hitch to. But to hitch ourselves to words that exist on a spectrum is a dangerous thing. It creates an us versus them mentality, and in the church, this just must not be. There are bigger fights that we must battle, and they will require both men and women to do the work God has called his image bearers to do. We tend to create boundaries and words to help us describe our views and our beliefs because we want to grasp for control and understanding over complex things. And there is definitely a place for that, but it's not what this session is for, all right? Instead, this session will hopefully push us further into the complexity and the beauty and the calling of men and women to be in relationship together and to help you hold the nuance of faith that binds us and that is so very clearly present. Um, it is what the prophet Isaiah called new. I think it's a new thing that God is doing with us. And it's always been a new thing. It's a new way that Jesus was paving the way for in his ministry. It's a new culture that the church is called to build, to breed, and to tend, and to grow. And with the power of the Holy Spirit, may it be so that brothers and sisters in the faith can look at one another and desire to work so closely together that we could know there was always freedom to assume that there would be a spot on the couch that we could always know that there would be freedom to assume and to image back and forth to one another our deeply embedded Imago Dei. So what does it mean to image back and forth to one another? I'm going to get a little bit more practical with this at the very end, but this is, here's the basic idea. The Gospel of John tells us that the role of the Holy Spirit in John 14, the Gospel, or the role of the Holy Spirit as he lives inside of each of us is to remind us of the promises of Jesus that he loves us so much that he comes near to us in our filth and that he loves us so much that he refuses to who we are and whose we are. The Holy Spirit reminds us of these things. He reminds us of who we are and whose we are. So to image God to one another as brothers and sisters means that we stand with each other shoulder to shoulder to build the kingdom of God. And the imaging part comes into play because when we see our brother and sister who we are called to build with and not against, we constantly and intentionally look at them and remind them of the Holy Spirit that is living inside of them and inside of us. We remind each other who we are, that we are built in the image of the all-powerful, merciful, gracious, just, forgiving God, that we are oaks of righteousness, plantings of the Lord for the display of his splendor. To image God to one another is to call out of one another our role as the image bearer of God. And what is our role as that image bearer? We'll get there, I promise. So what's the vision? What's the vision of, of to, to live in a society, to live in a world, to live in a church, to work at a church, to do ministry together, to become more beautiful, um, to become more of a flourishing development and way in which Jesus paved for us, saying it is, it is right and good for men and women to be working together. Um, so much of what we are, everything actually that we are talking about, I'm going to be speaking to you as leaders, but everything that we say here gets dropped and funneled back down to your students. The way that you are with one another on your leadership teams, whether it is a paid staff position or a volunteer position, or you partnering with parents, or, or are you even helping with your, um, if you have students that are leaders, every single aspect of this funnels back down to them because they see it. They see how you interact with each other. They see the way that you joke or do not joke with each other. They see it. So everything that we talk about here is something you can apply to yourself and then also 
um, hope to yourself and also to your students. So what's the vision to fully flourish as sons and daughters of God and brothers and sisters of the king? I want to specify just real fast. Brothers, I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope that you will feel the great need that we women have for you to be our true brothers, to fight and to advocate for us in the way that Jesus did, to care for us, to listen to us, to not dismiss us if we haven't made it to seminary yet, or if we have come into our role in a very non-traditional way. I was not supposed to be here. (laughs) I hope you'll hear that we need your voice in our lives and in our work and that you need our voice in your life so that you can fulfill your call as an image bearer. Sisters, I hope that you feel seen and that you'll feel the great need to pursue a seat for you and another sister at the table, that you'll learn to grieve the ways that you have not been cared for by your brothers, and that you'll learn how to still champion them even when you go through life and they may not see you fully. And I'm hopeful for all of us that this time together will push us closer to Jesus, and that is all that we can really hope and pray for. So let me stop here and pray, (laughs) Um, and we will continue on. Jesus, King Jesus, we bow at your feet, and we are so grateful and thankful for what it is, that the work that you have paved for us to do. You have said, come, all who are weak and who are weary and who are not fit for this kind of thing, and I will make you fit. Jesus, we need to know that in our heart and our soul today as we, as we look at scripture, as we think about your words, as we think about um, the life that you lived. God, we, we give you all of the thanks. Would you clear our hearts and our minds to be encouraged, to be taught, to be blessed, um, to be pushed, and to grow. Jesus, we thank you for all of these things. In your name, amen. We image the community that we are surrounded by, right? In the blurb that I wrote for this uh, session, I said that there are three things that the culture has already taught us about men and women in relationship. One, we're pitted against each other. (laughs) Two, we are sexualized against each other. And three, we're segregated from each other, right? We are pitted against each other. So as girls, we hear up, or we grow up hearing um, dumb blonde jokes and being told to get back in the kitchen. But on the other hand, we tell the boys that they're dumb in their own right and not as mature and that we shouldn't listen to them. We're over-sexualized. Girls are told that they have to cover up as much skin as possible in order to be seen as good. Or if they want to attract a certain guy, they just have to show more. We grew up in schools that give us a dress code that tell us our shorts have to be longer than our fingertips. As a girl that came out 5'11", I never got to wear shorts. That's what that meant. And if you can see the width of three fingers of a girl's shoulder, then that tank top is not allowed. We have a problem. (laughs) Boys are told that they only want one thing. We tell eight-year-olds, you're going to grow up and you are only going to want one thing. We have a problem. Yet when uh, we still tell them boys will be boys, We're over-sexualized. We're segregated, whether in terms for school growing up or referring to office culture as the boys' club, letting man nights be categorized by beer and football and girls' nights by pajamas and Hallmark Channel movies. Um, We have segregated ourselves in culture and in the church. There's a lot of goodness to be said for gender-specific groups. I'm a part of one. I love it dearly, and it is a good, good thing. There's a lot to be said for it, but there's a lot more to be said if we also never sit down across from ge- and c- sit down across from someone who's the opposite gender of us. There's a lot to be said if we never allow for there to be space in our lives for brothers and sisters to hear each other's hearts and to speak into one another's hearts. The current state of things are not good, but God promised he was creating something new, a new community. Our main goal in leading our students and our ministry should be to speak to the beauty of the new thing, to speak to and call out the beauty of seeing the fullness of God's kingdom come to earth, at least on this side of heaven. 
when men and women both lean into that work together while also addressing the practical difficulties and spelling out lies that culture and church culture perpetuates, they are there, we'll talk about those. But when we lean into that work together to fight those things, then we all win, we all grow, and we all look more like Jesus. To be honest, we are very, very bad at this. Culture set us up, and the church bought into it. In both the Old and the New Testament, the authors of scriptures were, were writing to God's people, urging them to not conform to the world. Whether it was Moses providing the Israelites with laws to keep them holy or Paul reminding the first century church how to best represent Jesus, we have always needed to be told that we as God's people are meant to be different. The culture pitted us against each other. The culture has over-sexualized us against each other. The culture has segregated us from each other and the church bought into it. It hasn't worked, even though we have been brothers and sisters in the kingdom since the beginning. Why hasn't it worked? Even though the call to image God back and forth to each other was given to us in Eden with our first parents, why have we still ended up here? I think three things. Temptation, fear of temptation, and sin, right? So temptation, our sexuality is broken, full stop. Our sexuality, who we were made to be, and our specific genders is absolutely broken. Full stop. Whether you are a um, transgender student or a straight student, your sexuality is broken. Our sexuality has been broken. And God created us with it and it was meant to give glory and point to glory. And instead, we broke it. And with that brokenness has come all sorts of ways that we blow up the family model. Affairs, lust, divorce, addictions, everything. Our temptation to be better than the person that is sitting right next to us drives us to pride and to, drives us to pride and to be underhanded in the way that we communicate. There's also a fear of temptation. We become so scared of our own shortcomings, our own inability to guard ourselves from giving into temptation that we build walls between ourselves and the opposite sex. We tell ourselves that we are just protecting our own selves and our own lives, but in reality, we are cutting ourselves off from one another and building walls where God meant for there to be a table. We sin because temptation and fear of temptation can be summed up in this, that we do not believe that when God... <laughs> When God looked at Adam in the garden and said, it is not good for man to be alone, we don't believe him. Instead, we believe and we live out of and often make decisions about our temptations by saying we don't actually need other people. We will figure this out for ourselves. We move about the world neglecting the biggest reason God gave us man and women, two genders. We neglect that he created and called us to work together so that we could stand together. We are bad at this, <laughs> but it can work because God designed us for this. And because, like I said before, we do in fact image the community we are surrounded by. So let's look at our other community. In Genesis, Adam and Eve were called to work together. If you have your Bibles, you can open up. I'm just going to read it real fast because we all know it. Genesis 1. Verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image and in the image of God, he created him male and free female. He created them and God blessed them and God said to them. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said it was very good. Adam and Eve were called to work together, right? To multiply, to tend, to build, to worship. They were Fruitful rule and worship is the way that the scripture says it. And we often jump straight to how that works out in a married context. But marriage can't be the only way this kind of partnership between men and women is supposed to work because then what does that say about Jesus? A 30-something single man. Does it mean that Jesus, the second and better Adam, did not fulfill the calling given to the first? No. 
We know that that is not true because we know that he fulfilled it. We know that he fulfilled it and more. So what if, what if the calling of Adam and Eve was all meant to be bigger than partnership in a marriage context? What if worship was meant to be more than just singing, but about seeing God in everything? What if ruling was meant to be more than domineering and controlling, but about tending and building the earth and the kingdom? What if being fruitful wasn't only about having babies, but about coming together as a community? What if the call given to us in Genesis was that men and women with zero romantic connection are meant to image God to one another in ways that men cannot image to other men and women cannot image to other women? What if the call given to us in Genesis was that men and women with zero romantic connection are meant to image God to one another in ways that men cannot image to other men and women cannot image to other women? We know the word given to Eve is azor, right? That, that word that means helper that often gets translated maybe to helpmate. For centuries, we have allowed that term to become weak instead of seeing it for the strength that it has. Because that same word used for Eve is actually given to us 21 times in the Old Testament. Twice in Genesis, referring to Eve. Three times later on in the prophets to refer to military aid from God coming to Israelites. And the other 16 times refer to God himself. Which means that our cultural kind of poke fun definition of a submissive do his role, this helper is strong. This helper is a warrior. This helper is meant to get work done. But she is meant to get stuff done alongside her brothers, and her brothers are meant to get stuff done alongside her. We know this is true because scripture tells us so. The call of men and women working together does not end with Adam and Eve. It continues in the story of Miriam leading worship in Exodus 15, of Deborah and Barak in Judges 4 and 5 whenever they go after the big warlord, Esther, Mordecai, and the king. We forget that the king had to actually sit there and listen to Esther, and he chose to advocate for the voice of the woman in his, woman in his life. We see it in the story of Ruth and Boaz. It's not just a love story, folks. We see it in Simeon and Anna both being at the temple. We see it in Phoebe bringing Paul's letter to the church in Rome, Romans 16. We see it with Junia also in Romans 16 being in, Paul and in prison with Paul. We see it with Lydia sacrificing and using her privilege and her wealth to give a space for the church to meet in Acts 16. We see it with Mary and Martha and their constant friendship with Jesus in the Gospels. We see it with Priscilla and Nakia and their teaching and raising up of leaders in the church and everywhere else. We have a precedent for men and women working together for the kingdom in ways that are not defined by marriage. Brothers and sisters, you are on staff. You are volunteering in teams. You are raising up younger brothers and sisters to be in a relationship together that marriage has not necessarily a bond over. So why not look at the scriptures that tell us this is how we are meant to be together. We are made in the image of God. Yet we have a culture that tells us that we are so different that if we are not careful, we will cause harm to one another. Instead of listening to and finding our wholeness and God's calling that tells us that if we're not careful, we'll actually isolate each other and build walls that keep us from one another. Not only is there a precedent for this work, there is a necessity. We are made in the image of God, but we often do bad math. <laughs> one man plus one woman does not make up a full image of God. At some point, we defined Adam as being 50% of God and Eve 50% of God. <laughs> and now when they come together, they are one God. <laughs> At one, some point, we defined it that way. There's technically no scriptural basis for that. It says that we are image bearers of God. His image is in us. Which means that when we come together, no matter how many of us are in this room, as beautiful as all of you are, <laughs> all of us in here together have characteristics and we are all image bearers of God, but all of us together, all of our wisdom, all of our love, all of our ability to understand God's grace and mercy still does not make up one God. For us to believe that we could do this thing on our own is sinful. 
we bear his image, but it's not a full 50% of it, which means the more that we brothers and sisters can come together, the more of God that we can in fact see. And we need one another constantly to speak into each other's lives, to call out the godliness in us, and to call one another into the roles that we were meant to play. So what's next? A couple more minutes, we're going to do questions. What's next is we have to create a new way. We have to become known for being and doing the new thing that Isaiah prophesied about. The biggest gift that I've received as a woman in ministry was that moment when the session and my senior pastor came to me and said, Becca, you've been here for eight years, and we do not want you to feel demoted. So whoever this guy is, he has got to be able to be willing to work with you. That was a moment where my brothers looked at me, their sister, and asked themselves, do we fully see the work that Becca has done to build the kingdom? Not that it's about me, don't hear it like that. But do we fully see the way God has gifted her? Do you know how life-giving that was to me? Now, I say that, please do not in any way, shape, or form think that in Tongue Community Church has it all together at all. All right, I can tell you some other stories. But in that moment, <laughs> it was good and it was right. There are plenty of times that we have where um, there are moments of us not connecting well, of not calling God and the godliness out of one another. We are still sinners and we are still going to not be perfect at this. But our staff, we're trusting that God has and is creating a new way for his sons and his daughters to work together. Um, my co-director is Steve, uh, and uh, we have a blast working together. We really do. Um, one of the things that we had to come, that we learned very quickly, is that uh, he had come from another church where he was the main guy, and here I am at In Town being the main girl, and um, one of the first things we realized about working together and us co-leading fully was that everything slowed down because it was no longer that one of us could make a call at 10 o'clock on Saturday night before church the next day. It took both of us having to be in the room, which meant everything slowed down, which meant everything had to be over-communicated because we had to be on each other's team. It, it was hard at first, we're two and a half years in, almost three, and uh, it's still hard. And it is also unbelievably good because one of the things that our students have gotten to see is that regularly they will come and they will ask Steve, the spiritual father, Dad, can I do this? And he will be like, have we talked to Mom yet? Um, um, and it is, it is this beautiful thing where our students are actually watching us not married. Steve is married, has five kids currently. Um, uh, by currently, because three are foster kids, sorry. <laughs> um, he has five kids. And uh, I'm not married. Our lives outside of the church look vastly different. But inside of the church, where our students are getting to watch us do life together. They're getting to watch us spend time together. They watch us have fun together. They watch us pull pranks on each other. Um, and they watch us incorporate that into our leadership team. We have 17 adult volunteer small group leaders, um, and we have four senior students who are um, our sixth grade small group leaders this year. Um, and our team watches us co-lead. And then our students watch our small group leaders be friends and hang out together. Every Sunday night we have, um, and our, for our students, they're not gonna listen to this, our students, we tell them it's leader meeting. For the leaders, we call it Victory Lap. Um, and we go out every Sunday night after youth group to eat and to share life together and to catch up because we want our brothers and our sisters to sit across the table from each other. So practically, what does this look like for you to image God back to your brothers and your sisters? Two things that I would love for you, if you're a note-taking person, just to write down and think through. First off, Spend some time looking at your own heart and asking this question, do you see the need for one another? Do you recognize that you are not fully able to image the vast fullness of God with just you alone? Do you recognize that you and your men's small group or you and your women's small group is not able to fully image the vast fullness of God with just one gender in the room? 
Again, there is a place for it, but do you recognize that you need the opposite gender? You need the brother, you need the sister to regularly be speaking into your life. Not as a teacher or an elder or an assistant or a secretary, but just as a brother and a sister. One of the other greatest gifts I've gotten to do, um, again, our church has been through a lot, right? I have, uh, we have five ordained pastors on staff right now. I have helped to hire four of them. Um, one of the beauties of that is that I am incredibly uh, close with all four of them because coming into it, it was not um, a power dynamic at all because power has a huge play in our community and in our culture and in our churches. Instead, it was, oh, this is a sister who's on my hiring committee. It has drastically changed what our meetings look like and what our time is together. Look at your heart. Do you see the need for one another? Two, create places for more brothers and sisters in your life. Maybe you're looking at your heart and you're like, actually, my life looks like the episode, like the TV show of Friends. I'm constantly surrounded by people and brothers and sisters of all kinds. That is awesome. Create more. <laughs> Create more spaces and places for brothers and sisters in your life. Create places of vulnerability where you can share in real ways so the others know enough to remind you of your place and of your role in the kingdom to be plantings of the Lord for the display of his splendor, to rebuild, renew, and restore the cities and the dwellings that have been devastated. Isaiah 61. What does this really mean for our students? When they see you having loving, kind, good relationships with your brothers and sisters, they will want it too. What would it have been like for me to have learned about community, not from a TV show, but from the church, where those relationships exist? As we've advocated for this on our church staff and our student ministry volunteer team, um, we have created places in our ministry for it. So one of those things that we've done um, uh, a few of them, is that we've created an intentional space at the beginning of every youth group. And this works way more, uh, the, it works with junior high and senior high, but differently because they are different. Um, but I'll specifically talk about senior high right now. With senior high, um, we built in 30 minutes of just get here and hang out time. And we did that not just because we want them to like hang out together because what happens, right? You open up the place, they all come in, and then you've got girls, girls, guys, guys in their own little groups. We created that time not so they could be separate because they get that in their small groups, which are gender specific. This 30-minute time we actually created so that we could go over to girl group A and be like, your brothers are over there playing ping pong. What you guys doing? Um, and we, we do that constantly. We encourage our students to go and to mix and mingle during that 30 minutes. We actually discourage greatly the fact if they are all huddled together. Um, they hate it when I start walking up. Um, they know what that means. Um, we have a winter retreat that's coming up in a couple of weeks. And uh, this will be our seventh, maybe eighth year doing it. And what started as a Hail Mary moment on the retreat where I didn't know where this was going, but none of my kids were talking to each other, I came up with this idea. We call it the new best friend hike. And it became literally the best thing that we have ever done in our ministry and continues to be asked for, um, where I, um, with the help of the Holy Spirit, partner kids up. And we say, go, here's a map of the hikes. Make a new best friend. And we say, you have... There's two hours of free time. You can hike that whole two, two hours, or um, you can come back in 30 minutes, but you've got three questions. You've got to get through all of them. Now, you're like, <laughs> you sent out boys and girls by themselves on a hike. What are you doing? Um, so wisdom, discernment, all good and great things. The first year we did this, um, the, bill, the, the, uh, the way that our community is created um, majority of them have all literally grown up in the church together and refused to see each other as anything sexual at all. <laughs> so there was zero romance happening, and we're like, okay, we're going to own this right now. And so it became this really beautiful thing of, yeah, we could send out guys and girls together on their own. The next year, we couldn't. We had grown. We had new people. You have to have wisdom and discernment with that. And so then it became, okay, let's, we partner up girls and girls or guys and guys. Or sometimes we send out a group of four or a group of three or a group of five. And we say, here, go be new best friends. 
The other thing we do is we talk all the time about our student ministry. It's called IDX. It stands for Identity in Christ. And um, we talk all the time that we are a family. We use that term all the time. Family. Brothers and sisters. Family. All the time. So that by the point that they graduate out of, uh, from us, one of the constant refrains that they will give us on senior night is we are so thankful for this family. We're intentional about the language that we use and intentional about reminding them this is your role. Um, the other thing that we also do with that is we're actually in a series right now on sex, uh, sexuality and dating. And uh, we begin that series talking about the necessity for um, like why we are designed for relationships. And we end it talking about how to be single. And essentially those are the same talks. And then throughout the entire series is this um, pattern where we talk to them about your role is to honor one another. If you are in a dating relationship, you honor one another because you are brothers and sisters in Christ. When you ask the question, what do I do next on a date? What do I text next? How do I respond to this? Your first question should always be, what is honoring? And we teach them that because we want them to honor their brothers and their sisters. We think about um, physical touch in this concept, in this kind of you know, category, right? Like what does it mean to be brothers and sisters? What does it mean to, um, to image one another um, in the concept of physical touch? So there's always the joke about do side hugs. I hate side hugs. I'm a big hugger. I hate side hugs with everything in me, but guess what? If I'm walking up to someone and I can tell that they are a side hugger, I give them a side hug. If someone's coming up to me and um, they're offering me the side hug, I'll let them have given me a side hug. That's fine. Um, but if, some, if you've got a student that's coming up to you, especially an opposite sex student that is coming up to you and they're going for a full frontal hug, do not side swipe them. Come on. It brings out shame. It tells them physical touch isn't good. What a gift it is for me and for my guy students to see me as this big sister that lovingly will give them a hug if they want one. Or one of my favorite things to do actually, and I didn't even realize I was doing it until an old student reminded me or told me, pointed it out. Um, as a woman, as a single woman, um, as a tall woman, <laughs> all of my guys for the most part and I are about eye level. And um, from the very point, even whenever they're in sixth grade, and I get them and they're like babies, uh, even from that point, whenever I'm talking to one of my guys, I have my hand on his shoulder. It's not just a moment to say, like, hi, focus on me. Don't, uh, don't, uh, 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 right? It's not just that moment. It is also a, like, I love you and I see you. I need you to talk to me for a minute. <laughs> I also want to know, how are you doing? And so now, this guy that told me about this, he's, I, gosh, he's now a missionary and uh, doing campus ministry. And even now, he comes uh, back to the church to visit me, and it's been, t I've known him for 10 years now. The first thing he will do to me now is he will come up, he'll hug me, and then he'll back off, and he'll put his hand on my shoulder and say, how are you doing? There are ways for us to lovingly embrace and, and to teach this kind of thing, not just to our, our um, peers, but also to our students. Um, when we are desiring to image God out of one another, we essentially are saying, there is something in you that I need to understand and to know because that is going to teach me more about my God. Do you not recognize, hey, when you are making this decision and it is a bad one, that you are going against what God created you for? Whenever we can look at someone and say, my gosh, can you, like, did you see how you led that? You led that game. That was so good. God's made you for that. Imaging God to one another is not just trying to figure out how do we do this whenever the relationship is really tension-heavy. It's also this really, like, joyful, good thing that we get to call out of one another way, the ways in which we were created and the ways in which we were designed. Um, I want to give some time for questions, and I know that we're um, running out. So 
Um, let me say this last thing and then we're gonna do questions and I've got some resources and stuff if you guys wanna talk about those. Men, brothers, it is your job and your role and your call to be faithful stewards of God's word to build his kingdom here on this earth. And what I hope you have seen just a little bit is that scripturally you cannot do that alone with just another men with just other men and you cannot do that by yourself. It is not your role to make jokes at our expense, to consider us a threat because of what we might or might not wear or to believe that we are being too emotional. And I say that because we're all guilty of it. Because brothers, you have been given the call to call out the imago day of your sisters, part of your job has to be that you sit at tables of leadership, whether in the church or outside of it. You sit in conversations where decisions are made and you take stock of who is around you and you ask which perspective is not being represented here. Your sisters need you to walk into a room and take notice of who has the loudest voice and who may need to be helped being heard. It needs to be your role that as leaders you show up in every situation ready to listen first and foremost for a long time, maybe before you ever speak. We need you to help give us space, not because all things are meant to be equal, but because the, and not because this is like a human rights activity thing, right, or social justice moment, but because God looked at man alone and said it was not good that he was so. Women sisters. It is your calling to be faithful stewards of this word and of this world, to build God's kingdom here on earth, to let it become something that is beautiful and full of joy and truth. It is not our job, sisters, to point at our brothers and to make jokes at their expense or to act as if women have their lives more together and he's just a guy, he still has some growing up to do. It is not helpful for us to make those comments and we need to stop. It is our great calling to see <laughs> when our brothers are feeling weak or fearful and to remind them what their call is to stand and to build the kingdom, to stand to protect the kingdom, to stand and to be the man that God called them to be in the same way that they're going to call us to be the woman that God made us to be. Sometimes that may mean telling them, dude, you got to go to therapy because you got some stuff to work out. Sometimes that may mean telling them, I get that you can go and speak at this other conference, but you have a family outside of this ministry. You need to go home and love them for a while. Sometimes it means telling them that you want more and giving them opportunities to stand up for you. I say that because I had to do it all. Mm. Our role as men and women, our role as brothers and sisters in imaging out God to one another and calling the godliness out of one another is to sit with each other, not as a threat, mm. not as prideful, but to sit with each other as brothers and sisters and say, oh, my God has made you to show me him. What is it that you can teach me? What is it that I can learn from you? And as we do that on a staff level, a peer level, a friend level, even within your marriages, our students start to see that and they mimic it. Talk about it with them. Talk about why it is that you're wanting to do that. Talk about it. Tell them, teach them to it. They are eager to know. Um, there's a couple resources I want to point out. Some of them are here, so go buy them. Um, <coughs> the first one is Mixed Ministry. I will tell you to read the first half of this book, not the second half. The second half I have lots of issues with, but the first half is great. And then read the last chapter. All right, Mixed Ministry is really great. You can come up and look at it if you want. Um, this one is out there. It's called Maelstrom. Um, so mixed ministry has a bent. So here's the thing, right? Anytime somebody's doing a workshop or a talk, we often immediately believe that they are the authority on what they are saying. Um, or if someone gets to write a book, we think they are the authority on what they are saying. This one has a bent towards women um, or against women that I'm not a big fan of. This one has a bent towards men and against men that I'm not a big fan of but it's still really good because you need to think about the things that are in this book. Um, Toughest People to Love by Chuck DeGroat. That first question I asked you guys to ask yourselves, do you actually see your need? This is going to be for your heart. Um, listen to Chuck. He is good. Uh, and this one is also out there, uh, Co-Laborers and Co-Heirs. Um, it is a beautiful, beautiful book 
uh, written by women, um, many of whom are not actually on staff anywhere, um, but written by women and essays by men as well that um, talk about what it is like to be in a church situation, um, an environment where your voice is not always heard. Um, so if you are someone who is thinking potentially, I don't know that I listen all that well. Co-laborers and co-heirs is a good book for you to get to know other people's stories um, and to see what God is, might teach you through them. Um, another thing I want to point out that I did not get to fully show, share with you guys, um, but I'm just going to, if you want to write it down, you can. There is a talk um, by a uh, Trinity Anglican pastor, I'm sorry, an Anglican pastor, the church is called Trinity, um, in Atlanta. Um, her name is Ashley Matthews, and um, she does a talk for a nonprofit that is on YouTube right now um, that is just a really good good thing to listen to when it comes to, to thinking about um, how men and women can work together um, outside of the church as well as inside the church. So her name is Ashley Matthews with just one T, and you could write in Ashley Matthews Plywood, Atlanta, and I'll show right up. Um, okay. I think it might be four o'clock and I didn't leave, or three o'clock and I didn't leave any time for questions. So Michael, do I still have time for questions? Let me close this. Jesus, you are great and you are good. This is a hard thing for us to think about. Um, what does it look like for us to, to love our brothers and sisters? And so um, we need you to go before us. We need you to pave the way. We need you to call us uh, closer to your heart when we fail at it. Lord, we ask that we would have the eyes to see and the ears to hear whenever we actually do it well, that it would be an encouragement to us. Uh, Jesus, would you be with us as we build our, our staffs, as we build our teams, as we build our students, um, to lovingly call out and image um, you back to one another. Lord, would you let us do that in, in the ways in which we forgive, in the ways in which we ask for grace and mercy, in the ways in which we love and care. Um, would you give us all of the tools and all of the clarity and all of the wisdom and discernment to do it well? In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you all very much.